0: Welcome to the Nonprofit Experience. I'm Sandy Sear, Managing Editor for the Philanthropy Journal. This week we share a special episode live from the Z. Smith Reynolds Foundation's Renew and Refresh Retreat. Since 1990, the Z. Smith Reynolds Foundation has honored North Carolina's nonprofit leaders for their dedicated service and commitment to the sector by awarding these sabbaticals. This spring, the Foundation invited all participants in the program throughout the years to convene at the beach for the first ever Renew and Refresh Retreat. We were there to capture conversations about the program and the impact it has had.
1: I'm Jane Smith Patterson, a trustee of the Z. Smith Reynolds Foundation and came on the foundation in 1983. I've been involved with the sabbatical from its nascent idea until this magnificent uh, reconnection of members who were in the sabbatical this weekend.
2: So my name is Virgil Smith, I've been a trustee for about 15 years and it's my beginning my second year as a member of the sabbatical committee. Uh, this has been a great weekend of renewal, bringing back over almost hundred people from a 29-year beginning, started in 1989, by Jane, her and Mary Council so they um, came up with the idea and the trustees have supported it.
1: Yeah, and we've had um, over 144 persons. Who've been nonprofit uh, executives who've actually uh, participated in sabbaticals, and you know, our goal at the time was to really—we uh, uh, were seeing people who were burning out, and you know, working in nonprofits. It's a tough job as an executive director of a nonprofit. Uh, psychologically, it's their issues. Financially, you're not extraordinarily well paid and many times uh, your life is in danger. Particularly at the time, I think right after we decided to do it, we had developed um, a sort of challenge the state of North Carolina to, to do battered spouse shelters. And the battered spouse shelters, we would do like uh, eight, sounds cheap now, but $18,500 and the state would match it. And ultimately we got the battered spouse shelters across the state set up. And during that time we realized how dangerous that it could be for you if you were running one of those shelters. And we we decided at the time that um, it would be important to try to keep these directors in the field. And why shouldn't we invest in them and give them a chance to take time off? And um, the most important thing to us was, you know, we knew that people in these jobs really are committed. We knew that also they probably would like to go back and get a degree and do something like that. But our goal was no, stop, get away from it, Um, do what you always wanted to do. We don't care if you go to Bali. We don't care if you, you know, decide to... uh, um, take your family on a vacation. We uh, we really want you to invest in yourself, and to come back ready to uh, stay in this field, because training for those workers, you know, you lose a lot of history, of knowledge, of capability um, to really run an organization. And they were leaving, and we were really concerned about that. So. We um, at the time decided to um, not only do that, I'd had experience working with Jane McClendon as a chief administrative officer of our state and um, saw the difference in the capacity of people to survive in organizations that were challenging when you had sort of centered yourself well and you also had been involved in seeing how important that was to other people in your organization. And so we. Uh, we got Jean to come on board and really work with them before they left on sabbatical and when they came back from sabbatical. Um, and then, uh, so that was, that was a genius, I thought, for her being there. She's a therapist. We were so impressed with the whole issue of um, Virginia Satir and her work. And so at the time when we started this, we were actually leaving state government. We had developed a cadre of women and persons of color, and and, and we decided then to um, take a look at ourselves as a group and how we were sort of uh, blasting off to other careers, leaving state government. We thought, gee whiz, this would be great to do this with, with uh, nonprofit leaders. she has been them. a
2: facilitator. She's from been the there the whole time. Yeah. So that's an important point. Uh, yeah, and she,
1: she is a child of the South. She grew up in South Carolina, grew up in North Carolina. She was voted by all the executives when we were trying to get public manager executives, CEOs in North Ground support public management. We had developed a lot of support educational programs and certification programs for public managers, and we were afraid to lose that. And so we wanted to train them. And so Jean was our, uh, along with five other people, and she was voted the best by all the executives. I mean, she brings the hard nose of being successful in what you do in a career to sustaining yourself and surviving. So she has been with us since then. And, um, you know, at the time, the foundation felt strongly about it and has supported it, you know, all this time. I think it's amazing that out of 144, only two of the ones who came back uh, are out of state, that all of them are still in the state and working.
2: So, Jane, what was the... uh decision around five, because
1: it's been five every year. It was as simple as, uh, at the time, how much could we get the foundation to invest? So it was a financial decision. (laughs) It was a financial decision. We're a big state, and um, at least with five we could uh, try and make certain that we tried to also gain the geographical advantage of not everybody coming from one place. and We would look at that as well, so it would sort of seed the idea to other foundations or other boards of directors of nonprofits maybe you ought to do this yourself you know because we had to get them to invest in this they had to agree that they would allow the person to come back they had to agree that they would have some you know continuing um, someone would step up to run it Uh, and that was something to do because they're not um, you know a fortune 500 organization you're working with. Exactly. So most
2: of them who took the sabbatical, did they go back
1: yes. to their job? Yes, almost every one of them has gone back to, we asked them when they to, when they left to commit, uh, if at all possible, to going back for at least a year. Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: And how much, how did you come up with the, I think it's
1: $30,000? Well, we did 30000 mm-hmm. well, the 30000 also included <clears throat> at the time $5,000. $5,000 it was to be spent to help the organization uh, maybe bump up somebody's salary who was standing in for mm-hmm. the person to go and we also thought that there should be some kind with organizational development for mm-hmm. organizations and that we should have some impact on everybody in the organization have someone like Jean or someone work with them and spend the money on that that didn't work out because they needed the money to bump up the salary of the person stepping in they're really doing 2 for one jobs so we extended the money from an additional sum of money to 10,000 so, so 10,000 with the organization yeah, 5,000 had to be with the uh, you know had to be spent on the rest of this you know some kind of organizational development
2: and what about the length of the sabbatical?
1: My four to six months. We didn't, we were not sure that we, if we said six months, we might not get uh, every, allow every organization who was a nonprofit to let someone leave. So we did four to six months. So it would be the option of the organization and the person. Um, they'd have to negotiate that before they actually applied. You know,
2: so. I work, at, as you know, private industry for 40 plus years, and we had a, a statement that if, you were gone for four weeks, and we were able to operate without you, that meant we didn't need you.
1: <laughs> yes, but we had an agreement that they had to sign that the person could come back. No, I mean, I yeah. think it's great. They uh, had to allow that person to come back, and the person had to agree they'd be there a year. It after was a, they came back? Yeah, after they came back. So, so last
2: year was my first time doing the uh, Selection process, Uh and and, you know, so many people came really wanting this. So, has it the selection process been the same for the entire 29 years?
1: I was there the first six years, because I believe you should change leadership. I don't believe in stacking things. And so we've had lots of people on the foundation. So when we looked at the uh, extension of the, you know, of the actual money, it, mm-hmm. making it more and going to every two years rather than every year, because we had done it every year up to that time, and that enabled us to also extend more money and also more time with Jean in there mm-hmm. to work with them, um, that was... whole part of it plus I wanted to get other trustees where we'd have a rotational group of people on there so that they could come on we'd three to four and they would rotate so the election committee
2: always been trustees
1: well no at the time we did it uh, after about five years we decided it would be important to bring uh, someone on from who had had a sabbatical Mm -hmm. and let them be a part of it and also someone from the Community Advisory Council and usually those are citizens, some are nonprofit leaders, and those members are across the state. I guess at the time they serve for a three-year term or something like that. And Adam has been on Spain Hour from the replacements, has been on now, a good, while. Well, he loves it. You leave realizing what a magnificent thing North Carolina has with the number of nonprofits we have.
2: So let me ask you this question. Um, how do we just determine who gets an in interview? So no, we didn't interview everybody.
1: No, we didn't interview everyone. Um, I thought it was important for the staff to get involved enough to be able to do an assessment and to also have some guidelines. We want to make sure that it's reflective that the finalists that we look at and make a decision on five are reflective of the state, that they are reflective of the organizations that that are involved with us in, in the focus of the foundation. So we had a good collection of folks to look at as a staff.
2: So what, what's a number in terms of how many people apply? Motoc- it's
1: 350-something in the new fellowship.
2: 361, okay. but yeah. how many do we have who apply for
1: Well, it, it, it depends a year to year. And the thing is, why shouldn't we as a foundation, the people we've invested in, why shouldn't they get back together? And when you get people together like that, you know, you. You grow a whole new um, ideas mm-hmm. that get filtered back to us as trustees. You, you give them more friendships, because when they're on their sabbatical, they're alone. Right. The one person they have in contact with them, basically, is Jean. Many of them have gone and just disappeared. Uh, they don't have to do anything. They don't have to write. Uh, when they give us a report, which could be three pages at the end.
2: You mentioned the report. Yeah. Uh, what do they have to report? It's just
1: what did you do? What did you do on your sabbatical? Okay. You know, what did it mean to you? What did you learn from it? And they come back together as a group. Jean works with them before they leave as a group, and then they, you know, dissipate and go wherever they're going. And then they come, and back. Then they come back. They talk in the group um, about what they've done and what it meant to them, the sabbatical. And they talk about reentry with her. Mm-hmm. That's what that last one is. How do I reenter? What do I do? What do I expect from the staff that? they have not had the sabbatical, Mm -hmm. you know, how do we, you know, how do I fit back in in a way that is successful for me and for the foundation.
2: So one of the things that uh, struck me when I joined is that we focus on the executive director.
1: We want the person who is running that nonprofit to be the one that has that option.
2: I, I recall we had a couple who were number twos. Yeah,
1: we had, it is possible that you may get a number two. And the other thing is that the person who steps up to take over that position while the director is gone, you know, that's, that's why we wanted to have some extra 5,000 that, that would help them with organizational development, however they wanted to do that. Something that they as a group wanted to do while the director was gone that would also enable them to get, most of them don't have money to pay for things like that. Mm-hmm. But if you pay for organizational development, that money is there. During this process, we have also seen the move from paper and pen to um, digital technology in all of our, um, in all of our nonprofits. And one thing that came out of this, working with the, these uh, directors who were out, was their concern that they were not being able to um, move to a digital uh, operation the way the people they're working with were. And so that was the time it it actually caused us to do an RFP out for nonprofits to apply for funds to transition to digital technology. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it sort of was a spinoff of learning that from these executive directors.
2: One of the things I noticed is that, you know, we look for diversity across the state. Mm -hmm. The foundation, we have a stated goal of looking at everything through a racial and gender equity lens. How does that play a role? We look
1: at that at every time that we, uh, you know, that's part of the selection process. And when it went down to the final, where we as a team uh, make mm-hmm. the final decision, um, we expect that to have been looked at before we get it, I mean, before we get the final list. We've been extremely successful in that. I think we've had 65% of the people who receive this have been women. And 30, I think 38% have been persons of color. And in our first cohort, the first five, um, we actually had two guys, three women, but they're still involved in in the uh, in public service, you know, in a nonprofit. The nonprofit community in North Carolina is almost more critical than public service and government. I've never run a nonprofit, but I have been in. I mean, I've held four or five positions in state government and in the private sector. I think that. Uh what we do and the fact that we place this importance on this says something to the citizens who serve on those boards as boards members of boards of directors That this is a foundation that really says these people are important and they're important in the jobs they do and we really appreciate the fact that you know you're there as a board of directors we gave them yesterday and if you'll notice in our board uh, package we handed out um, I had them do a map of where people were when they applied, and where they are now, uh, you know, across the state. Because we've been pretty good geographically as well. And we also ask, you know, you know, you can apply a couple of times. You know, if you don't make it the first time, you can apply.
2: So my last question: What do you see as the future for Z. Smith Reynolds sabbatical program?
1: Well, I hope we continue it. I think it's critical. And what I would love to see for us. Um, this is our first getting everyone back together. This is something we thought we should do. And um, I would love to see this every five years because we learn, it's an interactive learning process between us and the, uh, the folks that we invest in. And they invest their time in and their lives uh, in this and makes a massive difference in the state of North Carolina. Um, uh, that's why I wanted to get more rotation on the board of selection. Um, so that they would begin to see, and that you could sit there, and when they leave, with tears come down your face, made eyes. a difference for me. <laughs> and you realize these people are so f- much more involved in the life of this this state than I have ever been. And look at what I've done. Um, that's what they're doing. And um, why shouldn't we invest in these people? I think one of the things the foundation has an issue with right now is how do we deal with the whole issue of gender identity. Um, I'll bring this up, because one of the things on an application um, process um, and and, and in the actual filling out of things um, on this last one, it said, what are your pronouns? I thought, what the heck is that? I had no earthly idea. I thought I was with it. But for me as a person, it is easier for me to deal with the issues of racial equity and get totally involved in that than it is for me to figure out the whole gender equity thing. I mean, it really is. And so we have a learning agenda at the foundation on gender equity. The foundation gives people a lot of opportunities in North Carolina to get involved. Besides this, involving directly the nonprofit directors, we have um, a fellow program where we um, select people coming out of college to be uh, two of them so that they rotate. They, they, one comes in this year, stays two years, and the other they rotate through. And we have a fellow program, and we also have a form of an advisory group across the state. And they're selected for like three year terms. So there are opportunities.
2: And the new fellowship program. And the
1: new fellows, the All for North Carolina Fellows which is phenomenal. Five people, you know, who'll get $75,000. And again, this is the key consultants to work with them so that um, in the year they're there, you can't expect somebody to go out and start their life's dream with $75,000 and not have a cadre of folks who can help them. The foundation is, um, I don't think there's a better foundation in the United States. I really don't.
2: And I would agree with her.
1: Yeah, thank you very much for joining me and talking about the foundation. And
2: Jane, it is an honor. <laughs> thank you.
1: Thanks.
3: My name is Juvencio Rocha Peralta, and I'm the executive director of the Association of Mexicans in North Carolina, which is a nonprofit uh, organization that has been in this community for the past 17 years. Uh, main focus is to focus on five areas it's education, cultural uh, leadership, advocacy, and health. But we also have uh, uh, another piece component in the organization, which is uh, working in Mexico for the past five years. The organization has been doing some work in Mexico with uh, immigrant communities of, of families that live here in North Carolina. For my sabbatical, to be honest with you, it was a, a big surprise. Uh, I never thought that I was, I was gonna be one of the funnels for the sabbatical, so I was very um, surprised when I did got receive the phone call. Um, I do apply for the sabbatical for various reasons, one person and also professional. Um, I have, I'm one of the co-founders of this organization, and the organization has been doing work in, in North Carolina, especially in rural eastern North Carolina for the past 17 years with volunteer, just mostly as a volunteer organization, uh, and I came as executive director around five years ago. I volunteered with the organization all these many years, but and then you know, decided to make the step from working for private sector, public sector, and then decided to go into the nonprofit world. And that's when I just made the choice to work for the organization full time. So when I got the sabbatical, um, to me it was uh, an opportunity to kind of reflect in terms about the direction of the organization, but also to look at, deep into my personal. I'm 55 years old and I've been doing this type of work for the past 30 years. I came to the United States when I was 16 years old alone. So what really the sabbatical did to me is two things. One is to reunite myself with my home country. I I left uh, 38 years ago, so all my life has been in the States, my professional life. But something was missing that I feel like they had to reunite uh, and find myself into it was go back to Mexico and spend some time, go deep in my roots where I came from as an individual and who I was today. Uh, So that's one of the things that I did, and I was very fortunate to to have that opportunity to, to receive a sabbatical and spend some time in Mexico and go up in the mountains and spend some time with some of my indigenous communities so that's where I come from, but also to reunite with some of the families that I haven't seen in so many years. That's on the professional part, is to look at myself deep into. And on the other part was to um, reunite it with my family, but also to, to have some time to with my family. When you do this type of work in the, in, in the world of philanthropy or in the, in the world of activism, you kind of give you time without even noticing that you sometimes, you spend more time out in the field than you do with your family so people are close to you. You know, you get up in the morning eat breakfast and run and, and do what you had to do and you don't get home until nine, 10 o'clock at night. And so to me, I, I feel like it was time for me to kind of push back Marcel and say, hey, you got to do something for you and, and your family. And, and also the other thing was that my health, I was just was diagnosed with diabetes. My mother had diabetes for over 40 years. And I said, so, so something that I had to do for me. So the sabbatical kind of helped me to do that, um, stay away from the job, stay away from the organization, uh, let the other individuals in the organization kind of take the lead and just, you know, to see what happened. For me, that was good. It was fear because, you know, you, you, you found this organization, you run this organization, and, and you you know, see some of the outcomes. And I said, no, it's time for you to kind of push yourself forward. In the midst of all that, doing you know, reflecting in, in the work that I was doing with the organization and things that I had to kind of let it go, uh, also reuniting with my family. My family passed away during the time that I had my sabbatical. She was a complication of illness with the diabetes and everything. So I was in Mexico, my sabbatical, and I got a call from one of my sisters, and she had passed on Father's Day. So to me that was very hard and it was it was difficult so I came back to the states and, you know and helped my parents I'm the oldest of 10 kids so those type of situations comes into you know you had to take the role responsible you know make all the preparations so I came back very my mother and my father was in Mexico and I had chance to kind of do my time in my sabbatical uh, spend time with my father but my father and I, we kinda disconnect with each other when I left home. But in the meantime, I took my sister with me on my sabbatical right after my mother passed. During the time, my father, his health got worse. So he was diagnosed with cancer. I feel like uh, I did have the privilege to have the sabbatical, have time to travel, a time to be there. And well, right after when my mother passed, my father said to me, he said, now you are responsible to take me back where your siblings are, because I don't want to die here alone. That's my responsibility, I have to do it. He didn't want to. He would say yes, he want to. And I said, hey, you have to, you're gonna have to. Finally, in the last few months, he decided, yes, take me back to the States and let me be with you, you brothers and sisters. So, I brought him here, and he passed a day before Valentine's. And now that I look back, during the time that I spent in Mexico with my a chapter that was open in my book, it came to a closure. you know, that I was able to be there for my mother, I was able to be there with my father, and I was there to bring him here because, you know, the illness that he had was, was one of the worst illness. The doctor says it. I, I really believe that his wish was to be in peace with himself, to be close to his children, and be buried next to his wife because he didn't have a pain at all. He was talking to his children even the day before he passed. And I told people that I appreciate that I was honored to receive the sabbatical. I appreciate that I was allowed for me to be have the privilege to travel. and have the time for myself. Reflect on the work that I do every day for the community that I really care. But also reflect on me, that I had to start taking care of myself so I can last longer and do the things for the organization. I have that and, and, and now that I closed the chapter that I was able to help my parents, and I feel happy with my siblings that they were able to be there for my dad. I mean, what else can, better can you ask?
4: My name is Dawn Rochelle, and I'm super excited to be sitting here with my classmate from the Z. Smith Reynolds Foundation sabbatical program, Frankie Roberts. Both of us are very, very invested in eastern North Carolina.
5: Well, My name is Frankie Roberts, and I am so elated to be here with my classmate, Dawn, and I really enjoyed getting to know Dawn during our sabbatical.
4: One of the things, um, Frankie, that I think people that are drawn to this program have such a heart for service and servant leadership. And that was something that I certainly remember in this journey with you is how much of a servant leader you have been. Talk about how Z. Smith-Reynolds and this investment in you has really sort of helped position you for this work that is so important to you.
5: Well, I was going to say the interesting thing is when you are serving people, you don't necessarily realize how much you give. And so actually our grant writer had mentioned to me, Frank, you need to su- apply for a sabbatical. I said, I don't need no sabbatical. And I say, plus, I probably wouldn't get it anyway. Uh, she convinced me that we needed to apply. And so we applied and got denied. And I told I told you so. And she said, we're gonna try it again. (laughs) And so we did. And so when awarded, I was surprised, but more than that, when I actually started the sabbatical, I didn't realize that I was operating off pure adrenaline. Took me several weeks to, to land or to settle to even be able to sleep for eight hours. But one thing it has done, it has given me a reference point for the energy that's needed to do the work and self-care and above all, family time. That was something that I had taken for granted. And so the sabbatical, it created the opportunity, but now to even kind of focus on it. How about you Dawn?
4: Yeah, I think my gratitude in being able to share space with you and our three other classmates in that really sort of intimate time because I think all of us came to the table with what people would say is burnout (laughs) and overloaded with professional and personal commitments. And as I sit here and reflect, I just remember of being reminded of the courage in servant leadership because everyone had been brave about something yes. and all of us are. I mean I hope um, when you're when you're called into leadership which I think certainly in nonprofit work we feel a calling Yes. to be invested in the years that we are and surprisingly the majority of the people that are here we're all in the same roles. Yes. The roles have evolved and I think the investment of the foundation was critical to that the biggest reflection for me having to pause and being able to have permission to say no i'm on sabbatical the guidelines say that i can't participate in that was really critical for me in understanding that i can't be all things to all people and in order to really be a leader and figure out, so what is it that I can have the most impact in and get really clear about that, which means that I had to say no to some things and not step back in, in order to get to a greater yes. And also getting really clear in that time about alignment, internal alignment that I had to be well. You mentioned that too. And I had to be well mentally, physically, spiritually. I had to really pay attention to the people that were the most important to me, my family. And I had to ensure that the people that I was going to work with every day, whether it was internal to the organization or the agency, who did I need to be in the community, But I stopped being in the convincing business.
2: Yes.
4: (laughs) And I wanted folks who were showing up because they, too, were in alignment with the idea that things really could be better for our community. So that speaks to you. So tell me how that speaks to you. Yeah,
5: because uh, when you're you're doing this work of servant leadership um, and serving people, over time, you do think that you got to convince people. Uh, without recognizing that people are the experts on themselves and that we ultimately are seed planters mm-hmm. and somebody else will do the nurturing and the growing at times um, and a lot of times it just requires us to plant the seed, plant it as deep as possible. Also Don, you reminded me when you when you said disease um, Smith Reynolds and how much we give but I would say for me, Z. Smith Reynolds actually through this process showed me that I mattered, that mm. I was willing, that I could be served and that there was true reciprocity in society because, you know, you give, give, give almost to the degree where you think that's what you're supposed to do uh, without making room for somebody to give back to you. Um, Z. Smith Reynolds helped me feel like I mattered and that they cared for me because they saw across the state on how much nonprofit leaders give. And so, yeah, that was um, just struck that chord in me, Dawn.
4: I think one of the beauties of capturing some of these stories is you know I'm sort of reminded of the butterfly effect and yes. it's how one life touches another and I remember those conversations as the group of five of us which I appreciate that it was a small yes, intimate group
5: Absolutely.
4: and we were guided in a way that helped us uh, the work of Jean McClendon I think has certainly oh. touched all of our lives. And we have as well, you know, there's a connection, even though we haven't seen each other in a while, but I know I've got a friend right down the road if I ever needed it in Wilmington, and just as you do in Jacksonville. And it's that notion of the butterfly effect in terms of that connectedness that Z. Smith Reynolds really has implanted, I think, in a lot of the programs and investments they've made. But to invest in adult humans, that are professional without regard to anything but the fact that we give is truly unique Mm. and it certainly helped me to sit back and reflect what others that I'm called to mentor or they're called to serve to remind them it's okay to take time for yourself and One of the um, books that I have read recently talks about that if you're truly going to lead transformation, you must know what that is for yourself. Absolutely. And in human services, we are called to really help people deal with something in their lives, which means we have to deal with our (laughs) own. Whether it was cleaning out the closets, touching base with a family member we hadn't, being able to grieve something that had happened. What a gift, because that space was truly transformational.
5: Because I didn't realize, um, with Gene, I kind of asked myself, I said, why, do we need a, why, why does a therapist have to facilitate the group? But honestly, I probably would have crashed if it wasn't a therapist, to help me navigate what to expect. And I would say after the first day, when she told a few stories about people who didn't want to go back and didn't go back, I said, "Nah, that's impossible," because you know you feel like you're doing the work that um, God intended for you to do. But that was my biggest struggle: is going back, because uh, yeah, I would have to say I found myself, and um, and I was afraid if I went back that I would give it up again. But she helped me understand how to maintain some balance, ease back in, and then try to remember through a reference point, this is where you should be, and this is what it can feel like. And like you said, Dawn, be able to stop for a minute so that you won't get back in the throes of giving too much.
4: Yeah, and I think one of the things that you and the others in our cohort gave me is this notion that because we get so siloed in whatever field we're working in, and to be in a room very connected with others that were struggling with the energy and, and the marathon of the work that we so care desperately about. What it has done for me in the five, six years since is I intentionally put myself in the room with people that aren't naturally in my path and they are just wanting to align in order to get work done that needs to be done for our citizens. And I would say I have led more and led differently. Yes. Because of just being in the space and and kind of looking up and around that, okay, you might not serve the exact same folks that I do and with the same needs that come in our doors but you know this work and it's made me realize how many more people I can invite to the table to be a part of the work and I am forever grateful for this investment and I love this opportunity even to get our voices down because I don't think I have been um, I don't think I have been consistent in the gratitude to the foundation for that. And so I'm very appreciative of just being here with the Philanthropy Journal and being able to record this for anyone who is listening, because um, it is a reminder to give gratitude.
5: Yes. I would say, number one, being with the team of our other classmates uh, definitely kind of brought that to surface with me, myself as well. not. Uh, relegating and enough gratitude for the foundation because yesterday evening after getting here I reflected and said I really need to send our grant writer thank you for making it happen because it created um, the ability as you said Don to lead better. I mean um, just sitting with the rest of our classmates how we were different but one of the things we all had in common is that uh, the whirlwind of the work had taken the energy out of us and so um, we had to rely on each other number one um, to you know recognize where we were and then kind of soak up where we wanted to be mm-hmm. um, and god knows uh Jean helped you know yeah i never forget when she said This is getting ready to create a little chaos in your life. And uh, initially it did until I kind of was able to sit and reflect and say, man, I got to get myself together and just become better.
4: Well, thank you so much for for sitting down and for having this conversation that is now recorded. So thank you.
6: Thank you.
7: I'm Christina Davis McCoy. For me, the sabbatical launched a new path of uh, economic justice work. Um, I was at, at the time as a recipient uh, involved with racial justice work. North Carolina is against racist and religious violence. But during my sabbatical, I was able to visit places like um, Wilson to meet Miss Fanny Corbett, got to meet um, Rashid. Uh, to talk about the CDC movement in industry and my interest uh, to get involved. So I got a chance to move around and visit some places and uh, launch that course.
8: And I'm Susan Perry Cole and I just want to witness the fact that social justice work in Eastern North Carolina is like drilling through concrete and it takes its toll. It It erodes the resources that one brings to the work and the passion. And every now and then you gotta pull away and sharpen your blade. And you sharpen your blade by resting and restoring yourself. For me, the sabbatical helped me to balance because um, the work is very addictive and you have to step back and balance your spiritual, your physical, your mental, and your personal with the professional. So I had a chance to step back and um, devote some much needed time and attention to my nuclear family. This weekend has been like a breath of fresh air, Mm -hmm. came right at the right time and it focused on self-esteem and you as a person and how you relate to others and your context. So it's been very good.
6: Mm -hmm. My name is Joyce Dickens and um, it's been a very interesting experience for me. I'm 71 now. I received a sabbatical in 93, which is 26 or 27 years ago. And right now I need another sabbatical. Mm. Uh, I've worked a long time and it's very interesting. I'm from Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, and the work continues there more intense now than it was even when I got started in the eighties. And it's concerning to me. I just said to uh, Jane Patterson, what are you gonna do with us now? Cause each of us sitting around this table past retirement age. Mm-hmm. And we want to be able to continue to give to our community. So I would hope that Z. Smith Reynolds would take advantage of the elderly sit, sitting at this sabbatical table. And it's a number of us, as I've participated this weekend, who bring skills, talents, experience. Mm-hmm. And so, how do we take, how does the foundation take those, those skills and talents, we elder human beings, and transition that to other younger folks? Mm-hmm. I think it's very necessary. And I think it would be almost sinful. If I were to sit down now and I share all that I've learned, Mm -hmm. you know, all the projects we've done, uh, is it writing a book about how you do community development and neighborhood revitalization and, you know, all that work. Mm -hmm. I just think it's a better way. And I don't think five years, I've been hearing, get back together in five years. Well, in five years, I'll be 76 years old. Who knows Mm -hmm. where I'll be, Mm -hmm. you know? I think now is the time and I think Mm -hmm. it's urgent uh based on what's happening in this country that this foundation uses the skills that we've learned to transition them to to a greater work
7: i, I want to echo that and let me just assure you that i'm past retirement age too but the work goes on right uh, i live in a rural community of rayford Hope county um, and serve of course that region uh, robinson richmond scotland counties where the realities are still stark the work is still needed and it is as debilitating Mm -hmm. in terms of being able to do it and oftentimes feeling isolated Mm -hmm. in doing the work. So we definitely need these opportunities to recharge Mm -hmm. uh, and renew, as well as we need to make sure that the next generation of Freedom fighters, if you will, justice seekers and justice keepers are being prepared. So, in agreement, I'm not sure whether it's about structuring, writing a book and structuring a course of study or, or teaching one on one. Or mentoring right, right. or creating a collaborative That's right. That's of, right. of elders That's right. um, that sh- show up and shine up. Got to harness that energy and make sure that
6: those young people get tapped and say, We know you're interested and we are here to help you get to where you need to go. I have to be honest and say that I don't feel prepared for retirement. That The the work that we've done didn't pay us well. That's right. The General Assembly stopped supporting the work that we do in community economic development. Mm -hmm. So I would like for the foundation to look at some type of elderly sabbatical program, elderly annuity program, mm-hmm. something to help the, the, those of us who've given our lives to this work mm-hmm. to be able to continue to live in some some method of comfort mm-hmm. going forward, whether it's helping to pay off your mortgage, to mm-hmm. a, a small annuity monthly, something to, to show us that we've not given our lives away in vain.
0: Thank you for listening to The Nonprofit Experience. If you like what you hear, please support our work. Rate us on iTunes, share us with a friend, and donate to the project at go.ncsu.edu forward slash give to PJ. TNE is a project of the Philanthropy Journal. Our managing editor is Sandy Sear. Our graduate editor is Kristen Goliheu, and our graduate assistant editor is Preston Whitworth. This episode was produced by Amarachi Anakaronye. Amarachi is the host and executive producer of the Fragmented Whole podcast. To learn more, visit Amarachia.com. That's A-M-A-R-A-C-H-I-A.com. Our theme music is an original score by David Mueller. For more information on this and other episodes, visit us at www.philanthropyjournal.org. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Nonprofit Experience and subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play.